Hi, and welcome to XP Extras. This is Blake Chastain. Today's discussion is with Asha Diet on this special weekend edition of the show. I spoke with her on Thursday about President Trump's recent comments this past week at both the State of the Union as well as at the National Prayer Breakfast regarding abortion. This is a pretty clear intent to curry favor with evangelicals, who are his most loyal supporters, even though his support and uh, favorability ratings are plummeting as as a result of the shutdown and many of his other policies, evangelicals still remain strong supporters of President Trump. So I talk with Asha about this because it is an area of focus for her. She is working on a documentary regarding reproductive rights, and we discuss President Trump's comments as well as some of the recent backlash in regards to passage of bills in New York State and the failure of another uh, bill in Virginia relative to abortion rights. I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you want to connect with me online, you can do so on Twitter at BRChastain. Uh, and you can follow the show at Pod on Twitter. All right, let's get right into this discussion. My guest today is Asha Daya. She is the ed- editor and creator of Girl Talk HQ. Welcome to the show, Asha. Thanks for having me, Blake. Good to talk to you again. We talked a, a little while back about uh, your story on Exvangelical. We, we, we talked about um, a, a lot of things on that, but I know that you're really focused on reproductive rights. And so I wanted to talk to you today yeah. about the sort of change that we're seeing in, in Trump's discussion of abortion. Um, and I, today was the day of the National Prayer Breakfast. And President Trump had this to say. He said, as part of our commitment to building a just just and loving society, we must build a culture that cherishes the dignity and sanctity of innocent human life. All children born and unborn are made in the holy image of God. Of course, this being the same president (laughs) that separates children from their their parents. So uh, I wanted to get your perspective on this sort of shift in in narrative and focus that we're starting to see from Trump in regards to abortion and how he's trying to play to his evangelical base and just hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, when you mentioned, except when it comes to kids being separated from their parents and putting cages out of the water and everything about his statement just smacks of him weaponizing the issue of abortion for his next presidential campaign. And the last time he made such really, you know, flagrantly stupid statements and incorrect statements about abortion was back um, in the 2016 campaign. If, If you remember, he famously went on MSNBC and said that women should be punished for having abortions and then walked it back when the pro life movement were like, no, yes, we want that, but we don't need to say it. So now he's doing it again. Of course, the election is next year. Um, and I think he was kind of handed, a, a, you know, on a silver platter, this issue again because of the recent law that passed in New York State and the law which didn't end up passing in Virginia State and which has caused a whole other 
firestorm of its own. Mm -hmm. But essentially what Trump is doing is using people's stories, using the issue of abortion and weaponizing it. That is exactly what the religious right has been doing for very successfully. And the people that have been losing out the most are women, children and families. So this, the pro-life agenda that he's, you know, he's playing to his base, he's playing to the 81% of white evangelical voters who handed in the White House. He's just playing to that and he doesn't care whose lives and stories and, um, and values, frankly, that he tramples on because it's all about winning for him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's absolutely playing to the evangelical base. And if you could, could you summarize what, what is within the late, late-term abortion bill that was passed in New York State and sort of why the right and the religious right is, is talking, using sort of talking points that contain misinformation and things like that? And what, does, what are you seeing online that uh, it does not mesh with what is actually in how the bill is, is built? Yeah. Well, first, I I do want to point out that the term late term abortion is not a medical term and neither is partial birth abortion. Both of those terms are phrases coined by the greater pro-life movement. Mm. Um, And it's a term that's meant to essentially demonize and, you know, put fear into the minds of people when they think about abortion. And the reality is later abortion, which is a preferred term, later abortion, um, which is usually referred to abortion that happens after 24 weeks or thereabouts, it's a very small percentage in America. It's roughly around 1%. So the fact that, you know, they're causing a firestorm after this very small percentage is just so heinous to me. So I would encourage people to read the actual text of both bills, um, specifically the New York one because it did pass and it, it is now law. So the Reproductive Health Act, what it does is essentially bring the state law, the state abortion law, in line with the federal standard um, as stipulated under Roe v. Wade. Because previously in the state, um, abortion after 24 weeks was in the criminal code. So all they've done is update it so that abortion after 24 weeks is now in the health and education code, Mm. which means that doctors and women seeking this procedure A, are not going to be criminalized for it, and B, don't have to travel out of state. So the people seeking these procedures after 24 weeks are the most heartbreaking, difficult decisions that nobody ever wants to be in. And these are people of all different backgrounds, you know, whether conservative, Republican, liberal, whatever. These are people who have picked out names. These are wanted pregnancies, you know. And so the fact that these women and these decisions are being so demonized and you know being painted like their murderers is so disgusting to me and so I've been seeing a lot of really inaccurate memes and just like social media sound bites that contain no facts being shared on Facebook and Twitter it's really heartbreaking to me because you know they share a picture of um a baby in development in the womb and they say, you know, in New York it's now legal to kill this baby and they're promoting infanticide. No, they're not. That's a lie. And I think anyone, no matter how you look at the issue of abortion, it is important to deal with the facts. It is important to listen to people's stories and to understand that we need doctors to be the ones in charge of helping women make the best decision in 
an utterly heartbreaking mm-hmm. decision. To to paint them as murderers is just it's really I find it's really dehumanizing because it's claiming that there are people out there just willy-nilly at 24 weeks or in their third trimester going, oh, you know what? I changed my mind. Let's go down to the clinic and get an abortion, which find me that person who does that. You know, you'd be hard-pressed to find them. And so in, in, the, in Virginia, the, the law was a little bit different um, where what they wanted to do was Delegate Kathy Tran of the state legislator wanted to let legislature, sorry, she wanted to kind of amend the um, – the restrictions around abortion. So instead of having to get three doctors to sign off on a later abortion, again, for heartbreaking decisions, they, she wanted to reduce it down to one uh, because, you know, when you're in a late stage of pregnancy and you've got a health problem, having to go through extra hoops, like getting three doctor's opinions, and these doctors could be very busy. It could take more and more time. These are health problems that could now affect the life of the mother and could result in, in her death as well. So the fact that they, re- they wanted to reduce it down to one was essentially what it was. And the reason why people took it out of context was because there was a video of her on the stand and she was being asked a bunch of gotcha questions by a Republican member of the legislature and he had said something like, you know, if a woman is dilating or about to go into birth, can she get an abortion then? And a lot of people on the pro-choice side and um, progressives are saying, listen, she didn't do a great job answering that question. The question, the, the answer that she should have given was nobody when they are dilated is asking for an abortion. Nobody on that delivery bed or in that room is deciding to all of a sudden up and get an abortion. And the fact that that question would even be asked is so it's just so indicative of the way the pro-life movement has weaponized abortion and has successfully managed to um, use misinformation to fundraise and to get votes and to get someone like Donald Trump in office who has clearly profited off this issue and, um, you know, on the backs of women who have been suffering in, in these difficult situations. So essentially that's what happened in New York and Virginia and, you know, the the social media memes that have been shared are just not helping but you know the, the important thing is to speak up about it and I'm glad I get to at least share some facts about it and hope that people will do due diligence and actually look at the laws and be, you know before jumping to conclusions yeah yeah and I appreciate all that context and also I do want to say that I appreciate you correcting the terminology that I was using I you know I always want to to be oh yeah, no worries. So, yeah, a lot of people don't yeah. know because you know it's just this pro-life phrases that have been coined are just so in our common vernacular. It's another notch on their belt for a win. They're just like, cool, people are now using that term like it's normal, but it's not. So, I, any chance that I can speak about that, I'm happy to do mm-hmm. that as well. And that, one of the things that you really that you've mentioned a couple of times now that I want to come back to is that you talked about like these these are not easy decisions and and people are not respect respectful excuse me respectful of women's stories that have to make a very difficult decision um and one of the one of the projects that that you're working on is actually really helping to contextualize these stories for people could you tell us a little bit about that and and what you're working on to to try to change the way in which people talk about reproductive health and reproductive rights? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm working on a documentary series called Life at All Costs, Going Beyond Pro-Choice Versus Pro-Life. And I would describe it as a series that looks at reproductive, sexual and maternal health with the aim of completely shifting cultural conversation around this issue of abortion. And it follows my story as a former conservative pro-life Christian. And now uh, as a journalist and filmmaker, I'm looking to look at all the different interconnected social issues that lead people to make this decision and how, you know, in the hope that people, whenever we talk about abortion, whenever we think about it, whenever we discuss it with people or politicians, talk about it in debates or whatever, it is always going to be connected with a number of issues. You cannot separate it out from things like poverty, race, access to healthcare, access to birth control, the level of sex education you're getting, whether a woman has uh, affordable childcare or paid family leave, looking at the foster care system, looking at the way we're treating pregnant incarcerated women and the rate of abuse and miscarriages happening in, you know, in our prison system because of that, you know, this, that should be a pro-life issue as well, but it's not. Um, so that's what I'm hoping to do with the series and show nuance and complexity and different perspectives. And I don't, I, I kind of want to steer away from the typical pro-choice, pro-life organizations and voices, because my, my aim is to go beyond that. I really want to show a wider perspective and look at groups that are, you know, standing in the gap and working in the great showing how you don't have to just be put your eggs all in one basket and just focus on abortion with with your blinders on you know we need to look at society as a whole and how we can do better to support women and children you know for instance we're the wealthiest country this planet has ever seen but you know we have so many people that can't get access to healthcare, and we don't have we're the only developed nation that doesn't have a federal paid leave policy you know why is that and these are the questions that we should be asking so and, and more so than anything i i really find that people's personal stories are going to resonate so powerfully and really cut through that noise and I've, I've been finding that in the aftermath of the virginia bill and the new york law which passed so many more women are speaking up louder than ever you know before it was such a shameful thing and the pro-life movement did a great job at making women feel shamed into silence and judged and condemned and um now women are standing up and saying no we're taking back our stories we're taking back our decisions you don't get to shame us and and i think it's a really powerful thing so i'm hoping to show that nuance as well you know people's personal experiences so that there's instead of this fear of the other you know where we can just easily demonize someone right. you know which happens a lot in our culture whether it's muslims or immigrants or young people or old people or democrats or liberals once we know each other and you see a human being behind an abortion decision, how can you look at that person in the face and say you're a murderer? You know, there's, there's just, you got to be not human to do that. So that's what I'm hoping to do, humanise the issue and just garner more empathy and compassion. Yeah. And as someone that's, that's really being a very public advocate for this type of stance, how have you sort of experienced, you know, criticism, feedback, harassment online as you've been vocal about these things. You mentioned people are not being people are not being quiet um anymore, but <laughs> but um but people are still emboldened by the distance that they think internet, you know, online comments have. 
that they feel emboldened to be jerks or abusive or, yeah. or harassing. So what, I mean, as someone that, that is very public in your advocacy for this and doing your di- different journalist work and the, all these different ways in which you, you, you broach this topic, what sort of things and challenges have you run into? Yeah, I've definitely, um, probably not as much as others, but I've definitely had been on the receiving end of, you know, people's ugly comments that start to get personal and, um, and, and, you know, frankly racist in, in some respect. Um, and it's funny because I don't actually tell people, oh, I'm pro-choice. I don't identify as pro-choice or pro-life. I call myself a reproductive justice advocate, reproductive rights advocate, and I'm interested in having a bigger conversation. And that's what I'm an advocate for. So when people come at me, I, it depends what their question is, what the content of their comment is, which d- it helps me decide whether I'm going to engage or not. The majority of people are just like, you're a murderer, you're a baby killer, you should be going to hell. I'm like, yeah, block, delete, uh, just not engage. But there are some people like Matt Walsh who I don't even know how he saw my comment. He doesn't follow me. I don't follow him. I refuse to po- follow someone like that. Um, I had shared an article or I had written something about the New York law when it had passed. And he quote, he tweeted me and said something like, so tell me, Asha, give me a specific example of a situation where it should be allowed. Or do you think it's wrong? It's right to kill a a baby right before birth. Something facetious like that, because, and uh, you know, he like Donald Trump doesn't actually care about finding the answer. He just wants to throw a bit of red meat to his follower base as well. And so um, I wrote back to him. I said, Hey Matt, here's my answer. I really trying to get into a debate or argument with you. I'm not here to win any sort of competition. What I'm here to do is say that women should have the respect and dignity to make these heartbreaking decisions in privacy with their doctor. That's, you know, this country is all about freedom and, you know, less government intrusion. Let them make this heartbreaking situation, this decision with their doctor and I'm an advocate for those people. That's my answer. And a couple of people are like, well, that's not an answer. You didn't answer him. I'm like, yes, I did. I'm not going to engage and stoop down to that level. And I think that's something I made a conscious decision to do. And I've had a couple of other interviews, usually men. Um, not that I want to paint all men like this. There are plenty of women out there who are horrible as well, uh, who have been horrible to me. But the men specifically, it's like, I, I don't even know. I'm, I've been trying to put it into words the last couple of days you know, after having these interactions, it's like they know when someone is smart and they've got a legitimate point and they point to legitimate sources, but it's like they just want to bring me down to their level, get involved in some straw man gaslighting argument and debate, which I had an argument with this guy who's associated with Pure Flicks and The Blaze and, you know, those kind of associations. And I'm just like, at first he asked me a legitimate question, um, and I said, well, I'm not a doctor, but here are some really brilliant doctors you should follow and ask them your questions because they know what they're talking about. They've had patients that have been in these situations where they had to decide about a later abortion from a, you know, um, a difficult pregnancy, but he just kept going on and on and on and on and just asking just inane questions. And I got to the point, you know, it, later in the evening yesterday, I'm like, why am I engaging with this guy? I've literally every tweet that I'd sent him, I linked to a peer reviewed source, an article that contained a link to a peer reviewed source. And he did nothing of the sort. All he did was ask 
stupid questions or peddle in hypotheticals. And that's the, that just seems to be the modus operandi of these people. And, um, you know, he even made a comment about me like, oh, but what about Gosnell? How can you say that people like Gosnell aren't that out there? For people who are listening and don't know who Gosnell is, he was this, um, I use air quotes, abortion doctor in Philadelphia a number of years ago who I don't believe he was even licensed at all. But because of the um, limits to accessing safe and legal abortion, he was taking advantage of um, especially poor and low-income women, especially women of colour, and was um, convicted of killing babies right after they were born and butchering these abortions and women were dying. He was put into jail, thank God. Um, but it, it really woke up the industry and is that, you know, it, if you start to make abortion hard to access, you're going to see more Gosnells like that, people like Dr. Gosnell. So this guy said to me, oh, you, if, if you had um, a few years ago, you probably wouldn't have even spoken about Gosnell as in like call them out because I have been calling him out. And, and, I, and I actually said to him, you know, a few years ago I was a conservative pro-life Christian, so you're wrong. All you're doing is making assumptions about me. And again, I was like, this is so frustrating. I don't care to answer your dumb questions and your hypotheticals. Like I just had to kind of bring it back to my original reason for why I speak up the way I do, why I'm doing the way, work that I'm doing, and that is because I care about women's rights. I care about reproductive justice. And then I just kind of cut off the conversation and pointed him to a few other doctors that he should ask his medical questions to. Um, but <laughs> that is a long-winded way of saying that these are the people get and it's just it's really frustrating because I'm always on my guard of wanting to point to legitimate sources and make sure I have my data correct and you know not jump to conclusions and not make sweeping generalizations but it it feels like the pro-life side doesn't have to do that because for so many years they've had so much power um, politically socially and religiously that they just can say whatever they want and get away with it and so that's why people like me are standing up and saying, no, we've had enough. We're going to change the conversation. We're going to change the culture. Mm. And to sort of bring this back to where we started and also connect to your own story where you mentioned you, you did spend, you did spend time as a conservative pro-life Christian. So you under, you understand yeah. that perspective. Um, what, how can like, if it didn't with this final question, do you think that you could share any bit of what helped you in, your, in that particular understanding and changing that position for yourself? Or this is just, an, this is an mm -hmm. option for you. Or we can, or if it's easier to sort of talk about the, the ways in which people, uh, ex-evangelicals, others that have had this experience can help people understand their framework and that frame, that pro-life you know, husband, father, Twitter sort of thing mm. um, and how to, whether it's even possible to engage with them or get them to, to come to terms or come to a common ground where, where a meaningful conversation could happen. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, yeah, I love that you mentioned the husband, father, pastor, Twitter. <laughs> that's, oh God, that should just be banned. From um, anyway, but <laughs> I think the, so for me, the thing that helped me widen my perspective and I guess change my mind on being such a staunch pro-lifer. And by the way, I called myself pro-life, but I had 
no interest in politics. I had no idea about statistics or anything. I was just like, oh, I'm a Christian, so I'm pro-life. Yeah, abortion is murder. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think twice about it. I didn't need to think twice about it because my church was telling me everything I need to know and that was it. But then what helped me change my mind after I ended up leaving that church stories from women from the church that I used to go to. And I speak about this in my TEDx talk, actually, how I would get private messages on social media when I started to share articles that were more of a liberal or progressive nature. Um, openly, there were women who would, from my old church who would, you know, try and chastise me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then I would, in private, I would get um, messages and emails from friends saying, thank you for sharing that story. I've actually had an abortion or I've had more than one abortion. I'm like, wait a minute, you're the girl that was standing up, you know, singing in front of the youth group every Friday and going on mission trips. What? And so for me, it was, and I had no interest in researching abortion or any of that, but it kind of just sparked my interest. Like I, I need to hear more of this. Is this a common thing? And I would read stories online and I would hear other stories, you know, um, from other friends, from other churches. And then it kind of, this is what I need to be listening to because what I've been hearing from the pulpit or from my church environment is just, essentially it's a soundbite, you know, like what we see in the news media. What I need to do is base my opinion on real life situations. And then from there it was like, well, now I can't be so black and white because here are people who openly claim to be pro-life Christians are having abortions. And, you know, these are people who are, who are saying, I would much prefer to have an abortion and quote unquote, get rid of my mistake. than let people know I had sex before marriage and now got pregnant. I'm like, Whoa, that's a whole other thing that needs to be unpacked. So what I would do is encourage people to seek out stories. There are so many online, so many digital platforms are sharing um, a, a spectrum of stories of people of all different backgrounds um, who've had abortions for so many different reasons. Um, and I would encourage people to read that. And for ex-evangelicals who are trying to have these conversations with pro-life family members or close friends, you know, I don't have the, uh, you know, a nice neat answer for you. I think sharing information as much as possible is going to be the best way to do it because they're not going to deny someone else's story. You know, it's just about, and I hate to use this term because it reminds me so much of, you know, Christianese, but planting seeds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like <laughs> I feel dumb just using that, but y'all know what I mean. So, you know, sometimes sharing an article, there may be someone who openly makes a comment saying this is blah, 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 but there may, may be someone silently reading it and have their mind changed or challenged and be like, oh, I didn't know that. I just thought it was all these sluts using abortion as birth control. Okay, I've got to look into this. And you, they may never say anything, but years later they might come back to you and say, I read that article you shared and that's what made me change my mind. Or So it's just and, – and knowing when to disengage as well. There are people who just want to troll, who just want to use triggering statements like abortion is murder, these women are murdering their babies and just awful things like that. I don't even bother engaging, you know, mm -hmm. you'll know when people are asking legitimate questions, like I have a question, like what situation would warrant an abortion after 24 weeks? You can answer that if you feel confident and you have sources you can point to. And 
Yeah, it's it's tough, but I think sharing personal stories is one of the most powerful things that you can do, and that's that I think is going to really change the temperature of this um, con- conversation. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, I know you did you were doing some fundraising for for your project, and I I remember even yeah. even your your trailer that that you posted for that was very compelling because of that reason, because it was people sharing their stories and 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 telling telling their reasons why why they had to make a, a serious decision regarding their, yeah. their health and um uh so i i really appreciate your perspective on this issue and how how you approach it and how you how you work on this and um, again i thank you for like educating me on a the, the proper term for things i think that's always important um where else could people find your work in regards to this uh and and anything else you're working on yeah so at the beginning you can check out my work on girltalkhq.com um it's stories about women's lives women breaking barriers it's not just reproductive rights related it's a whole host of women's issues um but the work that i'm doing within the repro rights space if you follow me on twitter i'm just at asha dyer um my pinned tweet and the link in my bio is actually linked to my tedx talk and it's called Reframing Reproductive Rights, Going Beyond Pro-Choice Versus Pro-Life. So it kind of ties in with the message that I'm aiming to share through my docu-series. And I share a bit about my background, why I'm creating the series, and hopefully a compelling enough argument and um, to change the conversation nationally and find common ground. Um, so I'd love you to check that out. And yeah, I engage with a lot of people on Twitter and talk about politics and reproductive rights and religion. And um, I love being on it. I need to um, stop being so addicted to Twitter. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so that's how you can um, keep in touch with me and, and have a conversation there. Great, great. Asha, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this. Thanks so much. And that will do it for today's episode of XV Extras. If you are enjoying the show, please rate and review it on iTunes. If you have any thoughts about it, please call in, leave a voice message through the Anchor app. Just search for Exvangelical in the app and you should be able to find this feed. Otherwise, you can reach me on Twitter at BRChastain or on the show's account at Pod. You can also email me at contact at Let me know what you think.